Okay, uh, uh, someone read verse 24, Proverbs chapter 30. Therefore, there be, I'm sorry, there be four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceeding wise. Okay, so what he's doing now, he's moving in Agar, who's the author, and he's moving into a series of things that we need to be mindful of that exhibit or demonstrate wisdom. Um, and you know, we, we, uh, we can learn a lot from some of the things that the things that God has created. We're going to look later on at some of the people who are called wise in the Bible whom we can look to as models or, or demonstrations of wisdom. But what he's talking about here now is some things that God has created that can teach us wisdom. Teach us how to be wise. I ran into a fellow one time in the airport uh, who was from Roses, Long Island. And he said to me, boy, I'll never forget that sermon you preached on the sissy dog. I said, sissy dog? I said, I never preached on no sissy dog. He said, yeah, yeah, man. In Long Island, you was there. We had a week of meetings and you was there preaching and you speak, preach about the sissy dog. I said, sissy dog? Um, that's right. I asked him, what you talking about? Well, he, he remembered from that sermon that I said that there are things that animals will not do that human beings are doing. And I asked the question, have you ever seen a sissy dog? Oh, and he remembered that. And this is years and years ago. Years ago. Okay. And, and, and he remembered that. But what Agar is telling us here is there are some, some things that God has created that can teach human beings how to be wise. And that's what he's getting on here. This is the way he's, he's, he's getting started here on. So he shifts the focus from things, four things that are, that are, would we may, may consider insignificant or minute, but they are wise and they could run circles around us in terms of teaching us what wisdom is. Verse 25, the first one. Ants are creatures of little strength that they store up their food in the summer. Okay, the ants are, are tiny, they are insignificant. And they appear to be helpless. I mean, you could step on them, squash them, right? Yet, during the summer, they are wise enough to be extremely busy storing up their food for the wisdom. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. The emphasis in this proverb is the ants are involved in the busy activity of preparation for the future. They know that some lean days are coming, some bad days are coming, some days of lack is coming. And so they're storing up. Them little tiny things are demonstrating that kind of wisdom. Okay, and so he says, we can learn from that. Okay, look at the ants and see what they're doing. And do likewise. And then at verse 26. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. Okay, and the rock badgers are also called hyraxes. And... Uh, they are known by nature, they're known to be feeble, defenseless creatures. Okay, all the other creatures will, will jump on them and attack them. But they are wise enough to find protection, not just among the rocks, but in the cleft of the rocks. Now the cleft of the rocks is where you can find absolute safety. Once they go into the cleft of the rocks, no one could touch them, no animals could get to them. And so the key is that not just the rocks, among the rocks, but in the cleft of the rocks, uh, which, is, which is where they find the, the best protection. And that's why that old hymn uh, says, 
rock of ages cleft for me. He's talking about Jesus Christ being the protection. He is the cleft of the rock for us, where we can find uh, protection. And so that him shed some spiritual application on what the proverb, the writer of Proverbs is saying here about the rock badges hiding in the cleft of the rocks. And then verse 27. Okay, think about the locusts. Okay, they, I mean they, they move in swarms, massive swarms. And when they hit somewhere, they don't even leave nothing behind. Everything is gone. But guess what? They have no leader. No one leads them. They have no captain, no general who says, okay, we're going to go on Colorado and we're going to wipe that out. And when we finish there, we're going to go in Ohio and we're going to wipe that out. And when we go there, we go. no, no one, no leader. And yet, the ordinary, the organized way in which they move is extraordinary. That can only be attributed to wisdom. Okay, that's a demonstration of wisdom right there in a, in a creation of God. And then uh, verse 28. Okay, the lizard. Find them everywhere, right? No matter what you do, you can't keep lizards out of your house. What do they call the geckos? The geckos are the famous one. They're all over the place. And so the point here is lizards are small. However small they are, they are very successful in getting into significant and prominent and popular places. King's palaces. Nobody could get in the king's palace. I mean, there's the guards and, and all kinds of stuff, security and everything, you know. But lizards can get in. And uh, Christians today can duplicate the way the lizard proceeds in getting into important and doubtful places. This shows how God never limits his witness even in the realm of royalty. My Bible says spiders. It yeah, mine says spiders. Yeah, lizards is, is an implication here. It does say spiders in, the, in, the, in some versions, but lizard is also an implication there. I saw that in, in one of the versions. But they get, they get into spiders and lizards, same thing. You, wherever you go, you're going to find spiders, spiders and lizards. Okay? No matter where you go, you're going to find them. And so the application for us is, for, for Christians is, just how those spiders and lizards are wise enough to get into those prominent places, those important places, Christians should do the same thing to get into the places where they can make a difference. You know, you talk about Christians should not be in politics. Politics, that's where they need to be. You know, you have a bunch of lawyers running the country. And lawyers are always going to look out for their own interests. Okay, the laws and the legislation they pass is going to be done in favor of them. That's how they do it. And so you oftentimes, you would, you would find yourself in a situation where, you know, something has happened. You say, you get a bunch of lawyers, you mean they couldn't fix this? Yeah, they fixed it. They did not intend to fix it. Because if they fix it, it's not going to benefit them. Okay, so they, they organize it, they structure the law so that they could benefit from it. But Christians, and that's one of the reasons why Christians need to be like these lizards and spiders, you need to get into these places where we can make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so that's the application here of, for, for the believer in terms of wisdom. Be wise like the lizards and the spiders. 
in terms of where we allow ourselves to get into so that we can make a difference for God. Uh, verses 29 through 31. Another series. Three things which go well. Yea, four are commonly in going. A lion which is strongest among beasts and turns not away for any. A greyhound and a goat also and a king against whom there is no rising up. Okay, so Agar now shifts his, his focus. His last sequence focuses on four examples of movement that is stately, movement that is majestic or movement that is graceful. And again, speaking about how these, these things move and demonstrate uh, the wisdom that uh, we need to have. The lion, which is considered to be the king of the beasts, or they call it the king of the wildebeest, is majestic and is unperturbed in his walk. The lion who walks through the jungle looking over his shoulder about what, what animal may come. He's the king. Okay, so he struts through there, he struts his stuff, and he don't care about nothing else. He's unperturbed in his walk. Okay, so his walk is majestic. And then the strutting rooster is a description of arrogant dignity. The male goat is an image of dignified behavior as it strides in front of the flock. You know, he walks in the front of that flock like he's the big boss. And then the king, striding before his people, he marches with stately dignity because he's got his whole army behind him. Nothing to fear. Whole army behind him. And so he said, these, th these three things demonstrate majesty, stateliness, or gracefulness. And then verse 30. Verse 32, sorry. Or read verse... Now notice, notice how he shifts the focus. He was talking in series just now, and he's going to come back to the series, but notice what he says here. The, the, the action that is suggested here is silence. In other words, whenever uh, someone, you, you say somewhat, something that is embarrassing, a person will often say to you, well, shut your mouth. <laughs> that's what he's, that's the implication here okay silence is an expression of humiliation and repentance after sin has been committed and it also it, it also stresses self-restraint which which keeps a, a proud or evil thought in check before it can be manifested in words and bring you to embarrassment okay so silence what do they say silence is golden that's the implication here. Okay? Think before you speak. Sometimes silence is the best thing to do. And then verse 33. For as the churning milk produces butter, and wringing the nose produces blood, so the forcing of wrath produces strife. Okay, and it's a sure thing. What he's talking about is, is, is this action will definitely produce this result. That's what he's saying. And so he says, as, as, as sure as churning milk will produce butter, there's nothing else will happen by churning milk other than it producing butter. So he says, in the same way that churning of milk or beating of milk, we call it beating. We beating up the milk in, in the churn will produce butter, and twisting of the nose will cause bleeding. You twist your nose and you definitely, it will bleed. Okay, he says, in the same way that these two things happen, anger is stirred up 
by agitation and it creates trouble. The same way those two things happen. In other words, you will not, you will get no other results other than trouble if you stir up anger. Or if you agitate someone to anger, trouble is what you're going to produce. And that's what we see happening today with, 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 uh, civil disobedience and civil crime. A person gets stirred up in anger, and the next thing they think of is violence, trouble. They're going to hurt somebody. They go and they get their gun and they're going to come back. I remember one time a woman was, uh, she's a friend of the family and she, I used to drink and she got drunk one night and she was driving and she hit a man's car and the man uh, got out of his car and he pulled out his shotgun and he shot out all four of her car tires and she break off running she came she ran all the way back to the house out of breath okay agitation stirs up anger and it leads to trouble I don't know if she drank anymore after that but <laughs> she probably sobered up after that uh, but she had always had a problem with drinking, and she, she and she had a, she was, she was loud mouth, okay, and she probably, uh, you know, she was at fault for hitting the man's car in the first place, and then she going to jump out and, and carry on. Uh, it, uh, it's something I guess the fella couldn't take. Fortunately, he didn't shoot up, he shot the car. Okay, we bring us now to, uh, uh, chapter 31, which is the last chapter, and, um, this chapter, uh, is by King Lemuel. Read, read verse 1. Somebody read verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Okay, so here we have another person who is uh, teaching wisdom. And this is King Lemuel. We don't know much about uh, King Lemuel except that he receives some wise teachings or instructions from his mother according to verse 1. Okay, his mother taught him wisdom. His name means devoted to God or belonging to God. And it is believed that uh, both Lemuel and Agar, the one who wrote the previous uh, uh, proverb chapter that we looked at, uh, were from the northern Arabian kingdom of Massa. So they both were from the same hometown. They were both from the same place. Uh, verse 2. What does verse 2 say? Oh my son. Okay, they sound like a mother saying, Oh my son, my son, what I could do with this boy? Okay, so his mother's his mother is saying in essence, Oh my son, whom I have dedicated to the Lord, what can I tell you? What gems of wisdom can I pass on to you? And so she's thinking about what our son is going to be up against, what he's going to face in life. And she's thinking of all the vast wisdom that she had accumulated during her lifetime. And where do I begin? Where do I start to tell you of the wisdom that will keep you out of trouble? That's what she's saying. And then she begins at verse 3. Okay, the first warning. First choice piece morsel of wisdom is to avoid a life of debauchery and sensual lust. Now, all of the Eastern kingdoms were and still are today tempted by the curse of the harem. You know what the harem is, right? These uh, kings who have many wives. 
they marry a whole bunch of women, and most of those kingdoms, they're, they're cursed. They have a curse because of this. They, they, they fall into all kinds of problems because of this. And he says, she says to her, son, listen, don't get into that. Avoid that. That's a curse. Cursed kind of life. And then she goes on in verses 4 through 8, giving him some more advice. So I'll read verses 4 to 8. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert the judgment of many of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Open thy mouth for the dumb, in the cause of all such are appointed to destruction. Now, she is speaking to him based on experience, which he has seen, okay, which he has seen happen to kings. And notice the second appeal is to abstain from drinking too much wine or alcohol, we call it liquor, okay. We know that this is one of the things that kings do. Leaders do this. You know, whenever they have a, a problem or they stress out, the first place they head, the bottle. Okay, I don't know what that does. I mean, it, it probably just minimizes their, 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 their view of reality. Probably that's what it does. But he says, he says, abstain. Don't drink too much wine or alcohol. Because such consumption could be dangerous. It could be dangerous for a king because... The king's ability to judge and make good decisions may be impaired. You know, uh, imagine the kind of decisions a drunken leader would make. Sometimes I think some of the fellows are in parliament is probably... Uh, and people, people use that expression. You know, some of the things that these fellows come up with, some of the things that they say, you, you can't come to any other conclusion that they've been drinking or they've been smoking something. Okay? But this is what he's saying. He says, whenever you drink too much wine or drink too much alcohol, you're not going to think straight. You're not going to think normally. You're going to be under the influence of something else. The spirit's in the bottle. Okay? And so he says, my son, take some good advice. You want to be a good king? You want the people to love and respect you? Don't drink too much. Now, she doesn't don't drink too much. They don't guzzle wine. That means swilling it, swilling, swilling it down. Okay, drinking it like water. Okay, the standards of justice, uh, she implies, demanded that the law could be forgotten along with the failure to maintain the rights of the oppressed. In other words, you drink too much, you're going to forget what the law says. In other words, because you drink, you're going to be so under the influence that the law is going to be the last thing on your mind that you're thinking about and if it's the last thing on your mind then you're not going to obey the law you're not going to follow the law you're not going to carry out the law justice is going to be thwarted it's going to be twisted it's not going to happen and uh, you're not going to you're not going to be a proponent for the rights of the oppressed in other words you drink too much Poor people can suffer because of the actions and decisions that you make. That's what she's saying. And we see that happening today. You know, poor people are oppressed because of some of the legislation that is being passed. They're not even being thought of. 
you know, when we make uh, make these decisions, one of the pastors who was for the vote no mentioned the other day that uh, Perry Christie has the largest poor, poorest constituency in the country, and he's pushing this gambling thing. Who's going to suffer most? The poor people in his constituency. So he must have been drinking when he thought about doing this. Okay, but that's what that's the point that his mother is making to him. Good advice. And then he says, now wine is sanctioned for medicinal use only. So if you gotta drink it, make sure you're only drinking it for, as a medicine. And if you're drinking it as a medicine, you're not gonna drink too much to the extent where all these things are gonna happen that's gonna be of a negative influence on you. As a med- uh, for medicinal use or as a stimulant for the dying or for the despondent as an, as an antidepressant. You know, people are going through, and if, if you've ever watched those cowboy movies when the fellas got shot and the fellas going to take the bullet out, they give them, they, they pour this liquor all over and they drink the liquor down and, and that's supposed to be a stimulant uh, to, to help them to, to deal with the pain. And that's what he's saying here, people drink to deal with pain. The, the suffering that people go through, the pain that they go through, he says, yeah, let them drink. If they want to deal with their pain by drinking, let them do it. If they want to deal with their, their depression through drinking, let them do it. Okay, it's okay for those persons to drink, to forget their, their neediness and their misery. And that's what people do. You know, I had a fellow who was a fellow I was working with in, in, uh, in the ministry in Jacksonville. Um, met him, the, he was in town the other day, he just turned 80. And uh, we had a good time. We found he was in town for one of his sister's funeral. And uh, he was uh, sharing some experiences about how the Lord was working in the ministry there. Uh, they, had, uh, they had sold the, the... There's a thing in the States called... Um, what they call the The law of imminent domain. Which... Imminent domain, right. Eminent. Which... Imminent domain. They use it, to, the government uses it to take your land when they want to do something. Well, the ministry we had, the government took the land where the ministry was. They did that to me. When I yeah. Two streets, uh-huh. and they took six feet on my body and make the, the road wide. And I wrote me and said, "This will be you and make it." Yeah, what you can do. Yeah, that's right. Same thing happened there. Boy, we put so much work into that building. I mean, we took that building. It was, a, it was a mini hotel, and we converted it and we made it into a place where the people, the the, the guys of the streets, could come and live and work and feed them and all that stuff. But he said the city took it. They gave him some money and they bought some land. And when they bought the land, went through all the, the preparations, did the plans and everything. And when they went on the property to start building, the fellow said, "No, you can't build it. The land is contaminated. It was a dump site. What the city did in the years before, when they they burned all the trash and dumped it on the site, so the land, the land was useless. Couldn't use it for anything." And so they had to run the people out. It took them 12 years to really get all that sorted out. And when he finally got there, the, 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 the inspector told him, no, you still can't build because of this. And it took another four years, 14, 16 years it took them. Well, one time he said he had this fellow working for him because he's an electrician by trade. Uh, he was the first and the youngest three-phase electrician in the Bahamas. He wired the first Paradise Island Bridge. And, and, and the first hotel that was built on Paradise Island, he and his family moved uh, to to Savannah, Georgia, as a result of him going into the prison one time with a friend to do prison ministry. And when he was leaving the prison, one of the prisoners stopped him and asked him, do you really have to go? And that convicted his heart. He came back home, and he was so convicted by that, he packed up his family and moved to Savannah just to be able to go into the prison and do ministry. He just built a brand new house with his wife in Seabreeze, sold it, packed up his family, everybody went. That 
Ten children, all the men. And then they moved to Savannah, Georgia. He's been there ever since, uh, doing ministry. Uh, he's got 27 grandchildren now. And one great grand. But we had a good time uh, at the reef on on, uh, on Friday evening when they came to town and they were tracking us down to try to find where we were. But he said he had this fellow working for him one time, and he said this fellow was a good he was a good electrician. But he said uh, that fellow drinks so much that one time he was trying to skin the wire. You know, you have to take the insulation of the wire, and he had the pliers, and he was doing this, and he and he could not touch that wire with that pliers. That pliers was going all around that wire. And he could not touch it. He, he needed a drink. And the fellow says, man, listen, I know you, you don't agree with this, but I need a drink. And he says, okay, you go ahead and do what you need to do. And that fellow went to drink, and he came back, man, he, no problem. Okay? When that, drink get, when that drink hits you and you can't get it, you got problems. And this is what he's talking, this is what he's impl- implying here. He says, okay, for those persons who drink, who need to forget their misery and their problems. Not that the other day lectures. He needed, to, he needed a drink to get him back on course, to get him straight. And that's because he drinks so much in his life that his body needs that. Okay? And this is what he's talking about here. And this is the implication here. And he says, let them people who, who, can't, who can't go on, who can't live a normal life without, let them go and drink. They need the stimulant. They need the, depre- the antidepressant. Let them go in it, but you don't do it. Because you've got a great responsibility of leading these people in the proper way. So you don't do it, my son, is what she's telling us. Good advice. And she has seen people in that state. Okay, one verse. But let's stop here. We're going to stop here because we're going to get into another section of this uh, that's going to be talking about uh, the kind of woman that uh, God has, has called each woman to be. We stop at verse 8. Stop at verse 8. We'll stop there and we'll pick up and conclude when we come back because that's, a, that's a, a long one we want to get into and it's pretty in-depth. So we're going to stop there. But I, I am sure we get the message that he wants to convey to us that Lemuel, King Lemuel is communicating to us with regards to what a king needs to be in order to have wise judgment and to make wise decisions that will impact the people in a, in a positive way and not a negative way. Amen?